They said, you're the real thing, the one who can save us, a realm crosser. In the dream lab, I heard them. This is Allie Daniels. You're listening to Antimony. Episode 7, Maple Syrup and Immortelle. I made the same pajama choice as for my first Dream Lab experience, and this time I scarfed down Marie Antoinette's hot chocolate before I got too sleepy. It was divine. I tried to stay focused on what I could learn by being here, even as I began to fantasize about another trip back, just so I could have some more of the hot cocoa prized by greedy French aristocrats. They should have just shared. They could have prevented the whole revolution— At least, they could have gotten suckers like me to pretty much do whatever they wanted for another cup of that steamy, hot, velvety deliciousness. Nurse Bereath smiled as she attached the tiny little sensors. This time, Kaya, we're going to try what we call a suggested dream. Rather than just see where your dreams take you, and if you can change them mid-course, we will provide you with the subject and ask you to try to dream about that. Okay. Uh, We want to see what happens when you dream about your family. I know that may be a sensitive subject since you have suffered so much loss. You want me to have a bad dream? We know you lost your parents. That must be very painful for you. But you may find some solace in your dreams. I know your departed parents are the first ones you think of when you think about your family, but perhaps tonight you will discover some other truth about who you are and where you come from. Let your dreams be your guide, Kaya. And remember, like last time, you can always ring this bell if you need anything at all. Yes, ma'am. Kaya. you are one of our most promising students. We will not let anything disadvantageous occur. Trust me. Thank you, Nurse Bereath. The beautiful music I had heard my first time started to fill the room. My eyelids grew heavy. I had that peaceful, sinking feeling where my body felt heavier and heavier, and I jolted half awake just for a moment with that sensation like I've tripped over a tree root while walking on a path in the forest. Then everything went black. I snatched at the electrodes, trying to yank them off as Nurse Bereath woke me. Calm down, Kaya, calm down. You have done so very well. You have provided truly 
admirable results. Dr. Gregori will be very pleased. What? It is common to feel discombobulated when waking from such a revelatory dream. She placed a cool hand on my forehead like she was checking to see if I had a fever. Discombobulated? Totally panicked was more accurate. Still, Nurse Bereath spoke with such authority. Maybe she was right. But as I became more awake, I became terrified. Not at the dream's contents, but that it would slip away from me. My dream would become irretrievable, and I would just be left with a sense of emptiness. If I weren't careful, I would lose a valuable piece of information, something basic I should know, like my home address, and something that, if forgotten, would prevent me ever finding my way home. Kaya, I can see you are trying to hold on to it. Here is your tablet if you want to write it down. I can arrange for your breakfast to be brought here so you have plenty of time before your class if you want to get your dream recorded. Some students find it interesting to go back to their dreams later. Keeping a dream journal can be very beneficial. Thanks. I started to write everything I could remember. I will just go order you some cinnamon bun French toast and freshly squeezed orange juice. I watched her go into the adjacent office as I typed as quickly as I could, wishing I had voice recognition software so I could get it down faster. The young woman named Samia walking in the glade and her longing for something more than life with her drab husband. Her seething resentment of her father-in-law the fresh, luxuriant earth following the receding of floodwaters, the fragrances of loam and trees and petals and vines, the strange, pale child and the flower Samuel laid on the girl's body, waking her from sleep or death, the immortelle, the ominous exhortation to get the others, Samya's rush of excitement, which I felt like a charge of electricity through my whole body. What did this have to do with my family? The low battery warding light on my tablet came on. I pressed save, got out of bed, and went to the doorway to ask if Nurse Bereath had a charger. She was still on the phone, her back to me, ordering my breakfast. But what I heard wasn't about maple syrup or bacon. Very promising. We will know in a moment. I will contact you when she is finished. Stand by. What have I done? What if Josh is right about someone monitoring our tablets? Shoot, act normal. Uh, Nurse Bereath? Um, ma'am, I'm fine grabbing something from the cafeteria. I probably should be going. Are you sure? Did you get everything written down that you wanted? Yes, ma'am. I stepped behind the changing screen, got into my jeans and t-shirt, pulled on my keds, tucking in the laces so I didn't have to tie them, stuffed my tablet into my backpack, and headed into the hallway. A tall, slim, blonde man in a white linen suit was rolling a cart toward me. On top of the cart was a dish with a silver dome, a large glass of orange juice, and a crystal face with a single white bloom of immortelle. I blinked. Then my stomach growled. Why am I running away? 
Apparently the Gregorys need me for something. I'm valuable to them for some reason. Wait a second. I believe this is mine. French toast? Is this genuine maple syrup? Oh, good. Delicious. I swiped a linen napkin from the cart and stuffed it into my pocket. I grabbed the rest of the cinnamony treat with one hand and the pitcher of syrup with the other. I'll bring the pitcher back later. I exited into the waiting area. I nodded at the GYSP students who were waiting for their appointments, then stopped. My hands were full of breakfast food, and I couldn't get the doorknob. Oh, Aranka, grab that for me, would you? You can tell Xanthi that the French toast is fantastic. The sun was streaming in through the windows in the hallway. There was so much I didn't know. But one thing I did, I was the one with the power here, and I felt like having a great day for a change, so I would. My big moment of feeling powerful lasted about 30 seconds. Come on, I've been waiting for you. For our end of week two assembly, did you forget? What's on your lip? Ew, gross, sticky. Maple syrup. Was that in the picture you've got in a stranglehold? Uh Uh-huh. Probably the sap of some endangered hardwood from the rainforest. But so tasty. Good thing I made off with a linen napkin, too. Better, darling. Just promise me you won't bore me with your dreams. Wouldn't dream of it, my dear. A toast. Here's to reality, whatever that is. Young ladies, perhaps you will freshen up and come join us when you are ready. Dr. Gregory looked toward the washroom across the hall from the common room entrance. Delani looked at me wide-eyed when Dr. Gregory had gone ahead into the common room and burst into giggles. We pushed our way into the washroom, turned on the taps, and washed our hands. I shrugged and tossed the linen napkin in the trash can and left the pitcher by the sink. We entered the common room and took our seats in the now quite diminished circle of chairs. Now we were ten. Five more of us had been dismissed from the program to parts unknown. No longer able to participate. That's it? That's all the explanation we get? Ilona, with whom there was a mix-up during my first visit to the Dream Lab, was one of them. A chill went up my spine when I heard Xanthi whisper to Aranka, It took. She's pregnant. The nurse had said, Generation process in the Dream Lab. Could she possibly have meant literally making new generations? A shame. Not for you, however. The white-jacketed, white-gloved man with the silver tray had appeared again this week. We held our breaths, and you could feel the excitement in the room as he handed out the envelopes. No one waited for permission to open them this time. I heard gasps of joy and pleasure, but then nothing more as I gazed at my card. In recognition of your successful completion of GYSP Week 2, for your exclusive use... Plentiful antimony. Come alone to Dr. Gregory's office tomorrow. Did they know my pills were almost gone? That I didn't want to depend on Rachel to give me more? The common room was quiet as each of us looked at our cards 
then furtively glanced at one another. No excited sharing this week. Had everyone received something personal, private? Something no one wanted anyone else to know about, but clearly the Gregories must? Who knows what week three might bring? That night, I dreamed of a merry-go-round in the school playground when I was little. A round, flat metal disc, its white paint chipping with raised red bars, handrails that radiated out from the center so there was something to hold on to. We took turns standing alongside and pushing, then hopping on to ride the spinning platter. Sometimes someone could be enticed or begged to push faster, faster, while the riders rotate and zip past the pusher over and over and over again, or look up and watch the blue sky whirl above. In my dream, though, the handholds had been removed, and we riders had nothing to cling to but one another— as someone unseen spun the wheel harder and harder, trying to fling us off. Would we stay on, or would vertigo and centrifugal force send us flying off the edge as one by one we could no longer hold on or wanted to? The next day, we gathered in Zia's room. I heard Lona is pregnant, and that's why she's not in the program anymore. I think she was supposed to get pregnant. What do you mean, supposed to? I mean, she was in the dream lab with me, but the nurse said she was in the generating process, not the discernment process. And you think they mean generating, like, pro-generation? As in making progeny the next generation? Something like that? That's sick. The Watchers impregnated women. If Nephilim exist, wouldn't they try to make more Nephilim or Eliud or whatever? You think there's a shortage of people with angelic DNA wandering around and the GYSP is trying to do something about it? I know it sounds far-fetched. I wonder if I can get in on this dream lab thing. Yeah, just make sure they send you in the right direction. I don't know. Dreams about angels that are super realistic, realistic enough that you end up pregnant. Could be amazing. I'm just saying. Stop it. But they are up to something weird. I know our tablets are being monitored. I sent a message to Delani saying that Delani heard Xanthi say she was hoping to see Dr. Ida after class in the courtyard. She had some more creative responses to the assignment he might be interested in exploring with her. You're bad. What happened? Dr. Ida waited in the courtyard for 20 minutes for Xanthi to show up. He looked really disappointed when she didn't. He checked his phone a couple of times as if he may have got the message wrong. Okay, no more tablet. Rats, I wonder what important information I gave away at the Dream Lab. What's next? We had better keep using our tablets or they'll get suspicious. We just need to be careful. Delani breathed a worried sigh. I put my arm around her shoulder. I'm glad we're together in this little world. But a pang of longing shot through me to be alone, riding my bike on the hot country roads outside my boring hometown, staring at nothing but cornfields. I 
was getting ready for bed, brushing my hair and trying to bunch it into something to keep me from looking like Medusa in the morning, when I heard a quiet knock at my door. I thought it was Delani coming to say goodnight before the lights out bell. Come in! My back was to the door, and I was surprised when I heard Miss Leora's voice. I should have known her by her clean scent of white camé soap. Let me help you with that, dear. Have a seat. How about a nice French braid? It will keep your hair tidy, and if you leave it in overnight, you'll have beautiful waves tomorrow. All right, love? Thanks, Miss Leora. There we go. Take a look in the mirror. It's nice. Thank you. She gestured toward the clasp of my locket at the back of my neck. Dear, where did you get that locket? Someone important to you? I gathered up the chain until the locket was at my neck. I pulled it out from under my neckline and held it out toward Miss Leora. It was my mother's. I could feel myself avoiding looking at her in case I got teary. She's gone, isn't she? My father, too. An accident. Sit with me, dear. Do you know what the locket means? I know it was given to my mother by my grandmother. I got it when I turned 16. Dear, you must be very, very careful whom you show that locket to. You are safe with me. Here, I have one that's identical. I'm one of them, too, like your mother and her mother before her. Them? Who is them? Your mother and I and many others, many now taken from us, sacrificed a great deal to raise children like you. What are you talking about? You and the other GYSP students are very special. The Gregories know this, too. The question is... Will you throw your lot in with the Gregories, or work for the side of the humans? The Gregories or the humans? Those in charge. Dr. Gregory and his ilk call the purely humans among us merely. You must remember that everyone is valuable and worthy of dignity, whether they are Nephilim or human or Eliud. I knew you would figure it out. Figure what out? That was a guess, mostly. What exactly are Eliud? Oh, the the time is too short. Put your locket away. But keep it with you at all times. She tucked her locket back under her blouse. Go see this person. Another friend. She tucked a folded paper into my hand and stood up, reaching for the doorknob. Wait, Miss Leora... Eliud and Nephilim? They really exist? All around us. But how... I looked up at Miss Leora. Her brow was furrowed. She started to open the door. Miss Leora, who gave you yours? I pressed on my locket now, hidden under my shirt. She turned back toward me. My own mother, gone to her reward... A brave woman. I think of her every day and try to make her proud. I have no family of my own now, at least no blood family. Watching over children like you, you're the family that matters now. Remember what I said. 
little time remains, and you have more to learn than I thought. Miss Leora looked both ways in the hall, then stepped out and closed the door behind her, leaving me alone in my room, my questions swirling. After classes the next day, we were all summoned to the common room to meet our new dorm proctor, Miss Romani. Miss Leora had to leave. Family matters. I am your proctor now. I blinked and tried not to reach for my locket, stuffing my hands into my pockets instead. I shuddered as my thoughts gelled and clarified and my questions reformed. What had happened to Miss Leora? What really happened to my parents? As we filed out toward the cafeteria, I felt an ice-cold hand on my shoulder. I instinctively jerked away, but turned to see who had touched me. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Romani. She looked really offended. Circulatory issues. You are wanted in the dean's office immediately after you finish your lunch. They must have found out about the syrup pitcher. It's not like I stole it, but I had promised to return it and I hadn't. Or was it the knife from the museum? That would be hard to explain. Why didn't I just stick to the rules? Maybe the pitcher was still where I left it, in the bathroom, and I could drop it off in the cafeteria. I pushed open the door to the washroom. Immediately, a smell like rancid meat and sulfuric acid assaulted me. My eyes watered, and I ran to the sink, covering my mouth with my hand in case I didn't make it there before throwing up. Oh, good. It's you in here. I turned and saw Xanthi through the open door of a stall. She was crouching down against the back wall, holding her knees to her chest like she was protecting herself from a blow to the solar plexus. Her makeup had run, and her hair was disheveled. What's happened to you? I started toward her, but a wave of nausea hit, and I turned back toward the sink. Of course you think of yourself when I'm the one in distress. What? Thinking of myself? I was, though. The stench was sickening. I got up on tiptoe and pushed open one of the windows high in the wall and sucked in some fresh air. Fortified and trying not to breathe through my nose, I went back to the open stall. Santhi, what's wrong? What's happened? I knelt down in front of her. I'm rotting. Literally rotting. Look. She twisted away from me and pulled up her shirt. I was knocked backward from the stink. Silver-green pus oozed from a vertical gash along her spine. Her skin looked like it had been pulled apart, leaving a chasm of about two inches. I swallowed back another gulp of rising stomach acid. Although I had never seen anything like it, it looked like something I should know about had heard about somewhere recently. Where? It's worse every day. I can't make it stop. You can help, though. I heard about you in the dream lab. 
She pulled her shirt back down and winced as the fluid-soaked fabric grazed over the infected wound. Help me. Has anyone else seen this? Have you been to a doctor? When it first started, about a year ago, my mother gave me an old cup to drink from every morning and evening. Told me it had been passed down through generations of my family and it helped others. But it hasn't helped and the infection or whatever it is, is getting worse. Dr. Grigori sent me to see a specialist in Boston. He gave me these. She rummaged in her handbag and pulled out a prescription bottle. She held it out to me. S.B. was handwritten on the label. And Timony? Whatever. It's not working. He said it might be too late. And I don't want it to be too late. Do something. What can I do? I mean, other than get you to a hospital right away. They said you're the real thing, the one who can save us. A realm crosser. In the dream lab, I heard them. I had no idea what she was talking about. I thought, they must be wrong. It can't be you. But what if they're right? Do something. Who are they? And what's a realm crosser? Maybe that will help me know what to do. I knew it. You're an imposter. Useless. I don't know why I even thought... I'm going for help, Xanthi. Miss Romani, Xanthi's in pain. She needs to go to the emergency room right away. Thank you, Kaya. Go eat your lunch, and I will take care of the situation. She nodded her dismissal as she reached for her phone. I kept expecting to hear the wail of an ambulance's siren as I walked to the cafeteria, but the yard was silent except for the chirping of birds and the buzz of air conditioning units. Or was it flies? I was still in a fog as I stood with my tray in front of a buffet offering a choice of Kobe beef burgers, lobster tails, or shark fin and caviar pizza. Nothing was remotely appetizing with the reek of Xanthi's rotting flesh still clinging to the inside of my nostrils. I suddenly remembered. I was supposed to go see Dr. Grigori. The panic pinprick swelled to a drill bit. He would be wondering what was taking me so long. I asked for two pieces of dry toast, wrapped them in a napkin, and stuck them in my book bag for later. Rats. I'd forgotten all about the syrup container. I hadn't noticed if it was still in the bathroom. I started composing my apology as I walked. Would saying that I had tried to help Xanthi be a good explanation for why I hadn't returned it yet? Maybe I should just leave my apology vague and see what he thought. The picture looked expensive, but I supposed I could pay it off somehow if they asked me to replace it. Miss Hermani greeted me when I arrived. Go in. They're expecting you. She waved me toward Dr. Gregory's office door. A large black fly landed on top of her computer monitor. With a lightning-fast swipe, Miss Hermani grabbed it, her red fingernails digging into the palm of her hand and holding it trapped. I stared at her. Go in. What are you waiting for? (laughs) 
Nurse Perith and Dr. Gregory rose from the leather sofa as I entered the room. The room smelled like a fresh application of men's cologne with buckskin, wood chips, and cedar moss. Fire ice, Aunt Alina had told me once, the men's scent that captures the fragrance of Iceland after I told her I wanted to travel there someday. It was nice, but Dr. Gregory had laid it on thick. Come, Kaya, be seated. I perched on the edge of the chair in case I needed to spring up and escape. Was Nurse Bereath here as a witness to report my literally sticky-fingered theft of the syrup pitcher? She and Dr. Gregory smiled at me. They were enjoying this. Dr. Gregory nodded at Nurse Bereath. Kaya, I have shared the results of your dream lab visits with Dr. Gregory. We are pleased with your progress. You are, in fact, the most promising GYSP participant we have seen since the program began. Your score on the self-promotion diagnostic was perfect. Your ability to summon family history was remarkable. I could feel my head cock slightly and my left eye squint as I tried to figure out what she was saying what Antelina called my skeptical Popeye look. Very unattractive, I could hear her say. I tried to make my face relax, but it was too late. Kaya, you are unused to being in the spotlight, even in such an intimate environment as this. Your naivete is charming. They were looking at me like I was a four-year-old who used a grown-up word incorrectly or dressed herself inappropriately for school. But it is time for you to realize your full potential. Realizing potential is, after all, the purpose of the GYSP. Tell us, Kaya, are you enjoying the program thus far? I wondered how I could answer his question, but get some of my own questions answered first. Dr. Gregory, Nurse Bereath, I am enjoying the program, just like you promised. I have made some friends, people I care about. Splendid. But I want to know more about the Dream Lab, about self-promotion diagnostic and family history, and why I should be excited about nightmares. Of course, and you shall. Patience, Kaya, patience. Good things take time to come to pass. Generations sometimes. Kaya, you are owed an apology. The GYSP promised you the opportunity to fit in. You will never fit in. There it was. The truth. I didn't belong. Time to pack. I was torn between relief, my ticket out of this disturbing place, the relief of going home, even to my weird little life with Aunt Alina, and disappointment. I wanted to be part of figuring out what was going on here. Kaya, pay attention. Sorry. You will never fit in. Those capable of greatness can never remain with the rest of the pack. Skeptical Popeye was back. Greatness? Greatness. You have an advanced aptitude for what we call anamnesis. Smell is the most potent of the merely senses connected with memory. He stopped himself as if he had spoken a dirty word, merely. But whether the word was distasteful to him or he had let it slip in front of someone who shouldn't hear it, I couldn't tell. Your olfactory abilities unlock powerful memories that go beyond your own direct experiences. That 
combined with your capacity for self-regard, make you potentially very powerful, an asset for the greater concerns of the consortium that developed and facilitates the Gregory Young Scholars Program. My heart fluttered. Although I had no idea what they were talking about, the thought that I might be good at something was thrilling. I suddenly realized I was grinning. A big, most improved Miss Sauerkraut Fest toothy smile. But my cheek muscles flattened into neutrality when I realized they were saying I was selfish, and they hadn't actually answered my questions about my dreams, nightmares. I don't understand what this has to do with bad dreams. Appraisal is relative. Is that not so? Nurse Bereath bobble-headed agreement. You demonstrated your awareness of the relativity of what is called good and what is called evil in your exemplary essay on the Nephilim in ethics class. History will be written by winners, Kaya. You have insights that will be useful for when the winners emerge. When it is time for the rightful interpretation of history to come to the fore, your insights and abilities will be most valuable. You think Nephilim exist? I wish I hadn't said it out loud. I could not be more certain. But what? How? How? I wasn't sure what to ask, only that I should be asking something at this moment. The truth often perplexes at first, but your own propensity for anamnesis gives you evidence that what I am saying is true. What Dr. Gregory is trying to tell you is that you have the ability to make the past present in your dreams. That is the meaning of anamnesis. It is the equivalent of unforgetting, unamnesiaing, if you will, the past. Was that what Xanthi called realm crossing? Anamnesis is a way of bringing the past into the present so you can experience it firsthand, keep it from being forgotten or lost. One with this gift can access the information as if one were there when it happened. Which of my dreams did that? What does the name Samya mean to you? You said you couldn't tell the content of my dreams. Does that matter if we uncovered a gift? Your emotional outbursts show your need for further work on control and detachment. Not allowing strong feelings to get the better of you in tense situations will help you obtain and maintain the upper hand. We desire to say more, but you must be ready to hear it. Are you willing to sacrifice the pleasure of your new friendships in order to reach your full potential? To become what you truly are meant to be means that you will have to make some sacrifices now for a greater good later. Something in his voice made me think he meant more than giving up friendships. I think he meant giving up the friends themselves. Betrayal. Let us start with a rhetorical question. Would you ever choose one person over another? I suppose so. Of course you would. Everyone does. You would, for example, choose to be friends with Delani rather than Xanthi. Or rather, you did choose Delani over Xanthi. I didn't realize he was aware of who my friends were. Suddenly, the thought of Xanthi in the bathroom and her oozing wound made me gag. I put my hand to my mouth. Xanthi is now beyond your help. She said I could do something. Not yet. You are not far enough along in your studies. She was correct, just premature. Come. The board is gathering, sir. You said to let you know. I did. 
Think carefully, Kaya, about with whom you share this information. Those you call friends may not have your best interest in mind. To achieve greatness, you must be willing to go it alone. Friends, more often than not, will hold you back. To be continued. When I was back in the hall, I stopped and leaned up against the wall. Too many things to sort out. I wanted help, and I wanted that help from Delani, Neath, Josh, Rachel, and Zia, all of them. But what if Dr. Gregory and Nurse Bereith were even just a little bit right? What if they could see something about me no one else could? What if I could accomplish some things on my own that would benefit my friends, too? Would any harm come from just going along with Dr. Gregory and Nurse Bereith, even just to find out something more? Something caught my eye. Through the window into the courtyard, I saw several tall figures, maybe eight of them, all about the same height and build as Dr. Gregory. They all wore dark coats and hats, pulled down over their brows, and each held a single white flower in their black-gloved hands. A light mist was falling. I stepped back from the window and watched as they formed a line. Two people in hospital scrubs and masks carried a body on a stretcher, covered with a white sheet. They set the stretcher down at the feet of the dark-clad figures and walked out of view. I saw one of the figures cover his nose, then, as if making an effort, drop his hand back to his side. I knew who was under the sheet, a fact confirmed when the figure closest to the head end folded the sheet back, exposing Xanthi's face, which now looked gray and drawn. Someone had arranged her hair, combing it back from her face and piling its luxuriant waves so they spread around her like a platinum lion's mane. Then each figure placed a flower into her hair as they filed past and formed a circle around her. Another person appeared, carrying a tray with small silvery goblets, and delivered one to each of the figures around the circle. He bowed and stepped out of my view. The figures raised their cups and drank, but none drained their cup. As one, they emptied the rest of the liquid onto Xanthi's body. Their cups were collected, and they joined hands, bowed their heads, and stood in apparent silence. Then one of them spoke. I could see his mouth moving and strained to hear what he said, but couldn't. Their hands still clasped. They raised them toward the sky. A flash of blinding white light, a tongue of red flame that burned for just an instant, rose from the middle of their circle. I thought I saw a flock of small black birds take wing, but they were gone before I could follow their path of flight. The circle dissolved. The figures departed, and on the grass where Xanthi had been laid was a fine covering of black ash. I thought of what Josh had said happened after Mendel had died. The new abbot burned all of Mendel's papers in a bonfire. I pictured a ring of monks watching the flames and then spreading the ash when the fire died out. But these ashes had been a living, breathing person. It suddenly occurred to me what had been nagging at me since I saw Xanthi's oozing wound, why it felt like it meant something, 
something more than just the obvious fact that her life was in danger. What was it Joseph Engeln had written to Mendel in his notes on First Enoch? Something about disintegration or rupture happening to Nephilim if their angelic and human natures don't remain fused. Was Xanthi one of the Nephilim? Was that the bad smell many of the professors at the GYSP were trying to mask? Was antimony supposed to save them? Why didn't the pills Xanthi got from the doctor do her any good? Were the scars on her back that had ruptured like mine? Was this what was in store for me? I found the nearest wastebasket and finally threw up. This is Allie Daniels. Thank you for listening to Antimony. This podcast was written by Amy Richter and is based on the novel Antimony, published by Whipfenstock. Copyright 2019. The novel is available at whipfenstock.com, amazon.com, and other online booksellers. Music for the podcast was composed and arranged by Pan Conrad. You've been listening to the voices of the Silver Linings Players, a group of volunteers from all over the world who came together virtually during the COVID-19 pandemic to record this podcast for you. Episode 7 featured, in order of appearance, Lydia Brower as Kaya, Catherine Hilton as Delani, Josiah Dykstra as Dr. Grigori, Aya Fuad as Zia, Caroline Winter as Miss Leora, Catherine Haas as Miss Romani, Lily Kerr Young as Xanthi, Larie Penner as Miss Hermani, and Phyllis Everett as Nurse Bereath. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend and leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts so others can discover Antimony as well. We'll be back in two weeks with episode eight.